Well, as Mike said before, we are finally getting some beautiful weather. It's feeling like summer for the first time, which is my favorite time of the year. You get to go outside, play some soccer. There's hot dogs and burgers. And the Cubs are playing relevant baseball for the first time in nearly a decade. In fact, on Monday night, the Cubs took on the Dodgers. And they were facing the con- baseball's consensus best pitcher, Clayton Kershaw. It was the third inning, and there were two outs, and rookie phenom for the Cubs, Chris Bryant, stepped to the plate. Clayton Kershaw wound up, and he threw a lightning-quick fastball at the plate, and without hesitation, Chris Bryant turned on it and launched the ball over the ivy-clad walls of Wrigley Field. Anyone that has witnessed a home run in person knows that there's really nothing quite like it. It is a complete spectacle. It is the picture of strength and power. And it is beyond me how anyone could launch that little white ball over 400 feet in the air. But it's also a picture of delicate collaboration between the mind and the body. I was reading in Popular Mechanics, and it says that a major league fastball takes four-tenths of a second to leave the pitcher's hand and cross home plate. And they say that that means that a batter has a quarter of a second to decide whether or not to swing. A quarter of a second to analyze the spin on the ball, to recognize the speed at which it is coming, and to take a guess at its final destination before triggering their body to swing. It says that even a hundredth of a second hesitation is the difference between a foul ball and a home run. You see, Chris Bryant has trained his body to respond instantly when his mind picks up on a good pitch. And I think in many ways, this is a picture of how God desires for his body to respond to the mind of Christ. We're going to look today at a passage from 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to start out by looking at verses 12 and 13. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, you can read along with us on the screen. But it says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. I want to pause just for a second with that because there's incredible power in that statement. The statement doesn't say that so it is with the body of believers, so it is with the church. No, Paul says so it is with Christ. The body of Christ is literally made up of you and I. And there's a strong challenge there. But fear not, because it continues, it says, For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Yes, we make up the body of Christ, but we are enabled to do so because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we continually go back to the Spirit we begin to look a lot like this professional baseball player. I'm going to be honest. I had a really hard time this week with this passage. I didn't really know what to say about it. It felt like Paul had said everything that needed to be said. 
It's a familiar passage that we've heard talks on many times. In fact, I hadn't even gotten anything onto the paper until yesterday morning. You see, the easy interpretation is that each of us has a unique talent and a unique gift. And when they are put together in collaboration, we are the body of Christ. It's quite simply a call to action, a call to do the thing that you do best for the glory of God. But the more I think about this, I think of a picture of Frankenstein's monster, a hodgepodge collections of parts that, although they form one body, kind of stumbles around groaning and roaring in the darkness. And I think that the body of believers, the body of Christ is far more intricate and delicate if we really dive into it. And so I think that instead of being a call to action, a call to get up and go and do, Paul is urging these believers and he is inviting them into a life of submission before the Holy Spirit. Knowing that the only way that we can act in this perfect harmony with the mind of Christ is if we are flooded with the Holy Spirit. I once knew a woman named Tabitha who pretty much exemplifies everything we've been talking about in this series on the Holy Spirit. She was known for her kind heart and her caring hands. She had dedicated her life to be an advocate for the poor, and she was never ceasing to lift her friends and family up with words of encouragement or actions of service. Quite literally, she had embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ with her life and had become his hands and feet here on earth. And so it should come as no surprise that when she fell ill, the community that she had dedicated her life to serving was eager to return the favor. And so we prepared meals for her. We went to her home and helped clean up and make sure everything was tidy and in order. We spent time by her bed, keeping her company. We never could have guessed that the illness would progress as quickly as it had. And in a matter of weeks, her health had deteriorated and she had passed away. Great crowds of people came to mourn her incredible life. And the line at her wake was out the door. It must have been three or four blocks long. People wanting to come pay their respects to this woman that had lived a life filled with the Spirit. After the wake, we were all joined in a reception together and we were sharing stories, stories of impact, Stories of words of encouragement that had been shared into our lives. Some of us even had sweaters and scarves that she had knitted for us that we proudly displayed. And one of my friends was sitting there and had mentioned that uh, just a few towns over at his church, there was going to be a pastor speaking. And he wondered if after he spoke at the church, he might be willing to come over and join us here at this reception just to say a few words and, and maybe pray over the burial. And so he asked if I would go with him. And, and we went over to his church and uh, began talking to this man afterwards. And we invited him to come join us for, for this uh, ceremony. And without hesitation, 
he dropped everything and just came with us. He must have sensed a movement of the spirit because he didn't think at all about what he had been doing. And instead, he just followed us over to the house. When we got to the house, I remember he kind of asked us fairly abruptly. He said, where is the body? As if he was a medical examiner at a crime scene. And so we walked him over to the room where Tabitha lay. And he asked all those that were paying their respects to to please leave the room. He wanted a moment alone with Tabitha. And so I slipped back into the corner and I quietly watched. And he sat there at the edge of her bed for a moment and looked down at her and said, Tabitha, get up. And my eyes must have been playing tricks on me because I could have sworn I saw her blink. And then to my astonishment, she lifted her head from the pillow. And the apostle Peter reached down his hands and helped her to her feet. He walked her out into the reception and cries of joy rang out as her friends and family rejoiced in the life of their loved one. And many people came to our town that day and listened to the words of Jesus' disciple Peter and embraced his gospel. This is a story that we find in Acts chapter 9. And it's interesting because a lot of times we separate ourselves from the powerful action of the Spirit because we have not witnessed them firsthand. And so I don't know about you, but I find myself settling for much lesser movements in my life. But this story reminds us that the Spirit can move in powerful ways. It's a story of incredible healing. And it's also a story of a life that is a testimony to the work of God. But I think most powerful to me, what has struck me the most this week, is Peter's response. A response without hesitation. Remember that Peter is fairly unqualified to be here in the first place. He had been rejected by all other rabbis and had instead resorted to living a life as a fisherman. He was constantly misunderstanding the words of his teacher, Jesus, and even at one point was scolded by Jesus, reprimanded, and Jesus called him Satan. That's a tough one. We know through Scripture that On his Savior's day of most need, Peter hid behind his fear and denied Jesus on three separate occasions. But here he is, preaching across the entire world, healing the sick and raising the dead back to life. So we have to ask the question, why? And I want to look at the actual passage now um, in Acts chapter 9, or at least a snippet of it. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them. You see, Peter felt 
the urging of the Holy Spirit, and he didn't ask any questions. He didn't say, uh, who's Tabitha? He didn't say, well, I got to finish up my national tour here. I'm going church to church. He didn't say, let me pack a bag or what type of food will be provided at the reception. No, he left everything and he went with them without hesitation. You see, when we listen to the spirit without hesitation, suddenly the body of Christ comes alive. I think back to my early years playing T-ball. Little plastic tee there, a white ball on top. I remember that I idolized rookie third baseman for the Philadelphia Phillies, Scott Rowland. And so as I walked up to the plate with my big plastic helmet and oversized metal bat dragging in the dirt, I had pictures of glory in my head. I pictured that ball sailing over the wall in the outfield, jogging around the bases, shaking my hands victoriously, the crowd erupting and roaring, chanting my name, and coming down and stomping on home plate, winning it for my team. And so I got into the box and cocked the bat on my shoulder, and I swung as hard as I possibly could. Crack! was the noise of the bat hitting the plastic tee. The ball wobbling for a moment before tumbling harmlessly to the ground. The umpire quickly replaced the ball, put it back, and again I swung as hard as I could, and again, same result. To tell the truth, uh, this is probably the peak of my baseball career. That's besides the point. You see... No matter how hard I tried, no matter what I thought, my body simply could not comply. It was not yet in full submission to my mind, and we see it all the time. Little kids running, tripping over their own feet. But I think that this is probably a much better picture of how I have served as the body of Christ in my life. You see, I have all the right intentions. I have studied scripture and have a fairly basic understanding of what it is that God is calling me to do. But when the times come to act, there is a moment of hesitation and I miss out on being a part of this glorious body. Think about times in my car as I pull up and I see a a man at the red light asking for some change and I deliberate back and forth in my mind whether or not I should roll down the window and hand a granola bar and, and then the light changes to green and I drive away. My hesitation causing me to miss out or many of us, we sit here and the offering plate comes by and we look both directions and we say, well, I'll give online in a minute. And it goes by and we never follow up on those nudgings. We have times in which, at least for myself, I I hesitate when I'm given opportunities to encourage my friends, the people around me. And oftentimes I fill that gap with a snide remark or a comment of gossip. 
I hesitate when given opportunities to serve my wife. To do something that will make her day easier because I succumb to laziness rather than love. And you see, it is this hesitation that the Holy Spirit desires to eliminate in our lives. And it is only through our submission to the Holy Spirit that we can remove this pause. I believe that we hesitate for two reasons. The first reason is because we believe we are insignificant. And Paul points that out in 1 Corinthians two fifteen through 16. He says, now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. You see, when we believe that we are insignificant, we are basing that upon a foundation that God is reliant on us. And so if we can't come through for him, we might as well not even try. But scripture is littered with people that were insignificant, that did things way beyond their skill set, way beyond their ability, way beyond their wealth, because they did not hesitate. You look at Peter in this story. Peter was not a doctor. He was not a medical professional, but because... He didn't hesitate when the spirit prompted. He raises a woman from the dead. You look at the little boy in Matthew. Sitting on a hill, listening to this teacher, Jesus. And when dinner time rolls around, Jesus asks the crowd, does anyone have anything to eat that can feed us here? And instead of looking down at his five loaves and two fish and saying, There's not nearly enough for everyone here. He raises his hand. And because he does not hesitate, 5,000 are fed. You look back into the Old Testament, one of my very favorite stories is from Judges chapter 6 through 8, and it's the story of Gideon. And we're probably all familiar with Gideon because he, he's the one that laid the fleece out on the ground to test God. And he said, God make some dew appear on the fleece and not the grass. And then the next day he said, make it now appear on the grass and not the fleece. He lacked a certain bit of imagination. I feel like if you're going to test God, a wet fleece is maybe not the best option, but you see what we find out in scripture, if we look deeper is that Gideon is said to be the weakest member of the weakest family of the weakest clan in all of Israel. He is the most pathetic man in his entire country. Yet God chooses him and an army of 300 men without swords to defeat the greatest army the world had ever known. Because he allowed the spirit to act through him. You see, by recognizing that it is not us, but it is the spirit that works. 
our insignificance is transformed into a share of God's glory. I think the second thing that causes us to hesitate is seen in 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 22. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You see, the second cause of hesitation in our lives is the belief that we are over-significant. That somehow God is relying upon us to put into action our special skills and ability. You see, this presents to us a picture of the church looking like a well-run, smoothly organized business. We're each at our cubicle doing our own thing, and hopefully the final product comes off the assembly line just as we imagined it. But you see, God wants something so much more from His church. You see, God wants a body that transcends our imaginations and transforms our world. And we cannot be that body unless we submit to the Holy Spirit and His power begins coursing through us. You see, we cannot be like that Frankenstein's monster stitched together through human achievement and human will. Francis Chan says, Without the Holy Spirit, people operate in their own strength and only accomplish human-sized results. The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. What separates us from the rest of the world? It's not that we're nice. It's not that we try really hard. It's not that we are maybe even living a sacrificial life. It's that we have submitted our lives to the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul finishes up his analogy with verse 27. It says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Are we going to accept this invitation? Are we going to embrace this gift? If we are, I beg of you, to pray this prayer of submission with me, to lay your life down before the Holy Spirit so that you may do things beyond your wildest imagination for the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are humbled by your word. And Lord, we come before you knowing that more often than not, 
we hesitate at the nudgings of your spirit. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We pray that you would allow us to stop worshiping our own willpower. And Lord, instead, be transformed by your spirit into the body of Christ. Lord, we lay our lives before you in submission this morning. And pray that your spirit would course through this church. Amen.